Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello, happy Saturday. Welcome back into the Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week podcast. I'm host and audio producer of the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, Stephen Serta. Obviously, uh, nothing to catch you up on as far as the Chiefs matchup goes this week as they sit at 7-2 in their Week 10 bye. And next week, they will prepare for a massive Week 11 matchup on Monday Night Football against the Philadelphia Eagles. But still plenty to get you caught up on from this past week. We'll start things off with the Arrowhead Pride editor show discussing their marinated takeaways from the Chiefs' victory in Germany. After that, we'll catch up with Out of Structure. They discuss the rest of the season schedule and some second-half adjustments they'd like to see. After that, we'll catch up with the Great British Chiefs show just recapping their epic trip to Germany. Then we'll take a quick time out. When we get back, we'll catch up with Chiefs Coast to Coast discussing the strengths and weaknesses of this current Chiefs team. Then we'll wrap things up with show and BK, just diving a little bit more into the rest of the season outlook for the Kansas City Chiefs and their expectations moving forward. That's all coming up on today's Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week. Well, I'm going to let this marinate. You know, let that one marinate and then we can circle back. Adapt, react, readapt. Takes time. It takes years. (laughs) That's the takeaway. Um, okay, uh, we're going to get into the marinated takeaways. The way that the Chiefs bye week works, uh, historically for Andy Reid, is he will give the players the entire week off. They're due back in Kansas City at the beginning of next week. A lot of times, John, you'll see the Chiefs uh, at their colleges, visiting their college football teams. Uh, now now they come back as a lot of them Super Bowl champion, big man on campus. That's a fun uh, weekend for them. But Andy Reid likes to let the players kind of reset, relax, recharge hopefully knock on all the wood they don't get into trouble the coaches come in for the beginning of the week and they do a little bit of self eval and then the coaches i believe get somewhere in the realm of like wednesday to thursday to sunday off probably thursday to sunday off where they are able to reset Uh, but this is where you see the chiefs do a lot of self-scouting and so we'll see how they end up coming out of it i know that uh, there will be a lot of fans uh, hoping that there are some significant changes on offense ahead uh, that we know. Uh, and I'm sure that's going to be a theme as we get into our marinated takeaways to what I thought. Right. Like, so you got to take away the Miami and Kansas City fandom. I thought if you're just a general NFL fan watching that game yesterday, pretty entertaining game. Not the game we expected where we right. maybe thought mm-hmm. it was going to be this shootout, but it was a pretty good and interesting football game that <laughs> I'm sure there were a lot of nervous Chiefs fans at this 11 a.m. hour in Kansas City came down to the wire, which is you know what the NFL wants. A uh, little bit of an anticlimactic ending, but a happy one for Chiefs fans. Uh, so let's open up the world-famous marinated takeaways right away here, John. 
Uh, what was your number one takeaway from this game? I don't understand why people are so upset with Dave Tobe. I, I actually have two. I have two points I want to emphasize about this. I understand why people think that um, every punt should be allowed to go into the end zone or every kickoff should be allowed to go into the end zone. I get that. And I think that part of the trouble here is that most fans have an opinion about this. I think played high school football and their coaches taught them that if the ball is over your head and you're inside the 10 yard line, you let it go. And you know what? In high school, that's exactly the thing to do. But the right. point that Dave Tobe was making when he spoke to the press after the loss in Denver was that this is not high school football. NFL punters have the ability to drop a punt on the inside the five yard line and have it mount straight up to where the coverage team can down it. And that's why he said that McCole Hardman made the right move to go after the punt that he muffed against Denver. You know what? Even if he's, he's going to muff some punts once in a while, that's just something that's going to happen. And they have to, they have to accept that risk. But what Hardman did yesterday was bring a ball up to about the 10-yard line. In the world of special teams, nine yards is a big deal. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a whole set of downs that the Chiefs don't have to get going back up the field. So this is why I, I, I'm disturbed by folks who want to point out that they should never catch a ball inside the five or the inside the 10 or whatever the figure is, because that's about high school. And this is not high school. And so that's one point. And then the other point is that I'm a little bugged by folks who, in the one hand, will say, well, we shouldn't even be fielding these because we don't need to do that like we did when Alex Smith was the quarterback. Mahomes can, you know, he doesn't need to have the, the aggressive special teams in order for the team to be successful. Well, excuse me, <laughs> you can't believe that. And also think the offense isn't doing very well. If you believe that the offense was not doing very well on Sunday, then you should be all for McCall, McCall Hardman fielding a punt and being aggressive inside the 10-yard line. You can't have both of those opinions because they conflict with each other. Okay, end rant. I'm sorry. I, I got yeah. myself worked up again. <laughs> I think... I, yeah, I think there's a little bit of both here. I think last week it felt like uh, maybe Dave Tope was right. There was a, a punt in this game where it really did look like it would have been better for Hardman to let that thing bounce, but uh, he doesn't end up doing it. Fortunately, it didn't cost the Chiefs uh, much this week. It, it seemed like uh, of all the things that a punt returner does, Hardman was well-focused on making sure he corralled the football this week. Right. And, and mm -hmm. so yeah. uh, no muffs and it's important that he makes the right decisions here because I, I think and we'll get to some of the snap counts, John. I know you pulled some of them for us, but when you're brought back to a team and one of your primary roles is to shore up the receiver position and your original receiver is healthy now and you know, you're choosing not to activate him right away uh, and you're still going to be that guy. I think you got to be uh, playing a, a near, if you can, perfect game. I know it's not always going to mm -hmm. be perfect, yeah. but you got to be in that, 85 to 90 range i could see uh some fan concern there i, I also see the day of tope side where and to your credit like it is the pros and there right. are pro punters here 
and these punters can put you inside the the three, four, five easily. We see Tommy Townsend, and he's had a great season. Um, do that all the time, and so there's a little bit of, I think, an, an in between uh, there. My first Mariner takeaway here. I don't know uh, if the Chiefs win this football game without that defensive play. Maybe that's a little bit of an obvious marinated takeaway. Maybe that takeaway is not so marinated. But you're looking at that point in the game, 10 to 14 point swing. I know it was second and seven at the KC 30. Let's say uh, Tyree Kill is just tackled uh, at that point. You know, you end up, um, what, third and 10, you're still looking at maybe a field goal. So, it's 14-3 instead of 21 to nothing at, at the half. And then we saw what Miami was able to do. It, it quote-unquote, woke up in the second half. So if you're starting at 14-3 uh, instead of 21 nothing, who knows how the game ends. Of course, that's living in the hypothetical. We'll never know. But I just right. think that was such a huge swing, 21 to nothing. And you just had a sense, I think, in the morning yesterday that no matter what Miami did, even if they did wake up, you woke up the sleeping giant. There, they were too far behind where Kansas City wasn't going to let this one go. It would be an historic collapse. I mean, it almost ended up uh, going overtime and, and getting in the realm of that. But that's why this play was so important. And what a heads up play! I, I mentioned it on the Arrowhead Pride Report and and six ten and you know where I was analyzing this game. Uh, I I think when Legarius Sneed leaves the game. And he's trotting around following Tyree Kill for you know pretty much the whole thing, especially in the outside. You knew that they were going to go to Tyree Kill right away when mm-hmm. C had to check out. And Trent McDuffie knew that, you know, I, and it, it was pretty clear to me. And he was ready to to poke that ball out. Who knows if it was something that he saw on film with Tyreek? But if you're going to knock the ball uh, away from Tyree Kill, then you have to um, be get there fast because we know that we know the speed that he has. So just the first initial play to knock that ball down. Andy Reid complimented Trent McDuffie on that. Uh, but the, the onions on Mike Edwards, my God, what? Where did this guy come from? To if, you know, we're we're talking about a McCole Hardman sometimes making questionable decisions. If you are going to make the decision to lateral in the AFC game of the year. Uh, in in a in a international stage with the entire world, you could say world in this game. Watching, uh, you got to be sure about you know your teammate. You got to be sure that you're getting it to him. You got to be absolutely positive that that it is going to be a good enough toss where he's going to be able to catch it. Uh, this is not something that you practice. Uh, I, I would not recommend doing what, what uh, Mike Edwards uh, ended up doing, uh, but it worked. And Brian Cook ran faster than any chief has this year. Uh, and, and he plays uh, on a team with, uh, you know, Isaiah Pacheco, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who has a you know really fast 40 time, whoever you want to name. Uh, Brian Cook ran faster than any of these guys. He was at the combine with a, a what, four, five, nine, 40 yard dash. So uh, there was something extra that he was feeling on this play. And mm-hmm. it, it took three guys. It took three separate guys. Um, one of them looking like one of the better cornerbacks in the league period. The other, the seasoned veteran who had the trust of uh, a second-year player in year one with the team, and then Brian Cook, just a heads-up play, and uh, jetting down the field to to get the the six points. And again, uh, the play of the game. Uh, they don't win that game uh, without um, that play, in my opinion. I, com- I completely agree. And uh, this is, I think, one of the things that we forget is that the Chiefs' defense – has actually been really good at making these opportune plays at these opportune moments. How many times have we seen them 
get that sack on the third down uh, on the final drive of the game. Um, how many this this was a, a perfect example of making that opportune play. I will also point out, I've seen discussion about this this morning, and I haven't had a chance to check out the validity of it, but apparently um, there was an incident in practice last week where Edwards attempted a lateral to Reed, to Justin Reed, and Reed wasn't expecting it. And so they had a conversation. Now, you're right. Mm. You can't really practice this, but apparently the secondary got together and talked about it and said, okay, we need to be prepared to make that kind of a move. And so when something like this happens where a lateral is a possibility, we all have to be ready to take it. So they didn't practice it, but it was something that they discussed. And then when the moment came, everybody was, was ready for it. And I'll also point out that in this particular case, the lateral was more like a handoff. Right. <laughs> I mean, there was, a I mean, closer, they, for sure. yeah, yeah. They were very close to each other. So I think, in this particular case, Edwards was very sure that he was going to get the ball to Cook. And I, and I like you, uh, loved the, the acceleration and how fast he was going. An excellent example of what uh, Marty Schottenheimer used to call testing people in their underwear. It's one thing to run fast at the combine. It's another thing altogether to put it on, put on your uniform and your pads and see what you can do then. And Brian Cook shortly showed that he's, uh, in the game situation, a very fast guy. He was yeah, amazing. We've talked about how Patrick Mahomes, with his trainer that you know is well known on on X, likes to tell everyone how much he hates the Bengals. Uh, Bobby Stroop <laughs> about practicing the arm angles. This is now the second lateral we've seen uh, that Kansas City has done this year. Travis Kelsey had one where he flipped it to Noah Gray. So you kind of confirm that Andy Reid is cool with this and. It is an advantage to an, to a team that is, is willing to do that. I mean, there's a lot of head coaches in the NFL that would say, you know, what are you doing? Even on a right. successful yeah. play, they'd be like, do yeah. not do that. That We're not going to win games that way. And Andy Reid very clearly is leaning into it. I mean, it could you do it at the right time, and it's well executed. You can gain an additional 10 to 15 yards on a play. And when you're in a game with a team like the Dolphins, who to me is on your level, it could be the difference. I mean, who knows if the Chiefs just let's say Mike Edwards just goes down. Who knows if they score a touchdown on on, on you know that drive? Mm-hmm, you know right. I mean? And so they like, were sixty yards away from the end zone. Like, it's not like they. Right. Yeah, it's not like you they like were on the, the twenty risk yard line. So yeah. long as it works, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep the the uh, marinated takeaway conch for a second here, John, just because I have a related uh, takeaway. Okay. All right. So uh, I looked this up this morning. Since Tyreek has become a dolphin and we, you know, to Tyreek, I don't like a lot of the things Tyreek says, but one of the controversial things that he says is that the Chiefs underutilized me. You know what? To an extent, maybe they did uh, because the Dolphins are are getting a lot of production and yardage out of him um, and whatever. So we know that it's opened up for him since becoming a dolphin. The Chiefs held Tyreek Hill to the third lowest yards per reception since becoming a dolphin, you know, is in the mm-hmm. 60 yard range, but I looked this up. So the first worst was week five, the jets last year, 6.71. Now, if you think about the jets last year, I, I know that they were a well-known defense now, but they've kind of built into this defense. So that's one of the better defenses of the past few years in the league. The second worst was week 15 versus the bills last year. They were at 7.67. The chiefs were right there yesterday, 7.75. So again, thinking about the bills last year, this is one when they, they were very healthy and didn't have all the injuries. 
Milano. Um, uh, I'm, there's one I'm not thinking of. Uh, they were one of the elite defenses in the league. So it takes a top defense to hold Tyree Hill to that yards per reception because once he's able to get the ball in his hands, he's usually gone. Right. And to me, that just depicts these Chiefs were well aware that when he gets the ball in his hands, we got to rally to the ball and fast. And they, this to me tells me that they were very aware of where he was at all times and prepared for him and in what he was going to do and in, in anticipating that to hold him to that. And I thought I thought that was a key to the game because you knew and you could kind of see how badly he wanted to score. Uh, and so, yeah, eight catches. That's not wonderful, but to, for, to get 62 yards and for the third worst um, yards per reception output, I, I just thought that was a huge key to winning this football game, containing Tyreek Hill in a game in which, like, you know how the Denver Broncos, there's no way the Chiefs could have been as motivated as the Broncos last week. And you kind of felt that nobody sure. was more motivated on the field yesterday than Tyreek Hill. And to hold him to that, I, I just thought it was was very impressive. It was. I, I I completely agree. And and stopping Hill was going to be uh, the key to this. And I I, I thought I liked the way that uh, Rocky put it in his uh, five things column yesterday that, uh, yeah, he's going to beat us, but he's not going to beat us. Right. That was where the, the chiefs were coming from. It's like, you know, they're, he's going to get his. We can't stop him from getting his. We know what he's capable of doing because he used to play for us. But because he used to play for us, we know how to stop him, and he's just not going to beat us. And they succeeded. I was yeah. very impressed with that part of the Chiefs' defense yesterday. Yeah, I think we'll we'll get to that a little bit more as we talk about our suggestions for the second half. But Ed Helinski uh, gave me a chance to use a prop that I've never used before on air. And this is going to be great for all you listening uh, at home that are not on the YouTube. Uh, but – Ed asks us to look into the crystal ball, and I happen to have one here on my desk. Nice. And tell us how the final eight games of the season, the regular season, we're going to are going to play out. Uh, will the Chiefs run the table, uh, or what is their record going to be? So let's just go game by game for the rest of the Chiefs' schedule in the regular season, and and we'll do a quick prediction, and we'll see what this uh, see what this baby turns out here. You want to go like you want to go uh, each like we each say the the win or loss right up like for each game. Yeah, that's that's fine. Let's go uh, Philadelphia Eagles, Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, my, massive Monday night game coming up here, Super Bowl rematch. Uh, what do you got? All right, yeah, everyone's gonna kill me, but I, I I do have the Eagles coming in and 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 beating us here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give I'm gonna take zero and one so far for the rest of the year. Yep. I, I'm with you on that one. I think this is a really tough matchup and a completely loaded Eagles team. Uh, you know, the Chiefs have to play a really, really top-end game plan in order to win this game, and I'm just not sure they're going to pull that out against an NFC opponent at, at this time uh, of the season. So, yeah, right. Uh, the following week is Chiefs at Raiders. Tougher game than it than it sounds, but uh, they'll they'll get the win. It'll be a nice bounce back opportunity. Agreed. The next week, Chiefs at Packers. This will be a fun, uh, maybe a little more challenging than you think, too. Um, but I, I think they'll go into Green Bay Sunday night, be a little mo motivated in prime time and, and have a, a good game. I think that's a pretty comfortable win as well. Uh, the next week, Buffalo comes to town. Give me the win here. I, I think I think Buffalo is just too vulnerable right now on defense. And the Chiefs, Chiefs know how to beat them already on defense. They just like they've already owned them. 
now them being banged up and not having their guys like it, it might I, I can see the Chiefs really having a game here uh hopefully the offense is kind of rolling at that point all right I'm, I'm gonna be Debbie Downer on this one I'm giving them a loss at, uh, at Buffalo at home uh, it's just one of those regular season games where we'll see who's most motivated at, at that point in time but uh, you know that's a team that could come out and put up a whole ton of points and and, and make it a tough one so I'm gonna. I'm just gonna give them a loss on that one, and we'll move to the Chiefs at Patriots. This is a win. I mean, our. I. I can't wait for this game for our defense uh, against Mac Jones, or maybe if it's not Mac Jones, but whoever that uh, is. Yeah. 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 I agree. Uh, Raiders at Chiefs on Christmas Day. Oh yeah, big win right here. This will be. This will be a fun one. Hopefully, Absolutely. hopefully some snow. Yeah. So yeah, this is a win. Uh, how about the Bengals coming to town on New Year's Eve? This one's tough. Um, I'm going to say win, though. I, I I believe Chiefs at home get it done. I've got them winning on this one as well, um, even though I think this is probably a tougher game than that Bills game. But it, it's, um, you know, closing out the season strong, getting to the, where they want to be in the division and, and the, the AFC. Uh, although the Chiefs January 7th game against the Chargers to close it out, what do you think? No, I, I, I could see the Chargers being, you know, in the in the mix here. And, you know, even if the Chiefs need this win, I, I could definitely see the Chargers. I'm going to say the Chargers beat them here desperation mode, trying to get into the postseason. You know, I know the Charger, the Chiefs, you know, beat them pretty good the first time. But we know this te- these teams are always very close each game. And, I mean, it wasn't as, you know, the Chargers were in that game more than, than it seemed because um, the Chiefs often stalled in the second half. It's just the Chargers couldn't get anything going. But I do see the Chargers as, that, as a team that's going to, uh, you know, Threatening to threaten to make the playoffs late and kind of you know make a final push, but it's because they set themselves back so far in the first place, and and it's because they're not that good a team. But it's still yeah. a division opponent. I hate it when we agree too much. I've got this one as a loss as well. Oh man, I thought I was going to get you on that. Yeah. So I think we both ended uh, with a twelve and five record. Is that right? Uh, no, I have them beating Buffalo, so I should have one less loss than you. Okay, all right. So I've got twelve and five. You've got thirteen and four uh, yes. by the end of this season. Neither of us think that they'll probably run the table. Uh, not that they can't, but this team so far hasn't been consistent enough to put together a string of consecutive, complete team, complete games. Um, 13 and 4, 12 and 5 probably puts you in the winning the division, but maybe not that number one overall seed in the AFC. Uh, so is there a chance that there's a road? Playoff game in Patrick Mahomes' future. I know, right? That I, I, it'd be cool once we get there, um, but I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I'd, I'd rather just have the comfort of of, of home of, of home cooking, you know, playing playing at Arrowhead uh, <laughs> still. So yeah. Well, our guy Mark Gunnels asked, with the bye week upon us, what's the confidence level in the Chiefs repeating as Super Bowl champs? So let me say it this way. I, I, I'm not, you know, super high on, on it happening just because of probabilities. First of all, like, Hey, it is super hard to win the super bowl back to back years, but also because of teams like the Ravens teams, like the Bengals coming on strong, you know, burrow looks all the way back and that team's all of a sudden, uh, you know, uh, threatening again. I just think this AFC is tough, man. And, you know, it's going to be hard to win, you know, two, three straight games, especially if they don't get that one seed. So right now, you know, I, I, if I'm not projecting the Chiefs to get that one seed, which I, I am not, um, I, I I do think uh, I, I think another team is going to bring get it out this uh, take it out this year. So I'm 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 not super high on the confidence. So what's what's not super high for you? Sixty percent, fifty percent. 
I don't know. Probably number stags. I'm not. A, you know, <laughs> that's, that's a lot. Of, that's a, statistics. You thought you think I took that in college? Uh, no, I actually did take statistics in college, and I would probably say <laughs> a little above 50-50 at 60 or so. Right? It's still Mahomes, but I'm just saying. I I I'm fully prepared to to kind of see another one of these AFC teams kind of emerge because you know it, it it happens. Right? It's just part of it's football. Yeah, there there's another quote uh, I saw on Twitter. Bird law expert said. I know it's not what we expected the season to look like. I'm, I'm extrapolating here, but Mahomes plus Reed plus Kelsey plus a top five defense. That's like pretty good. Right. And, and that's a formula that, that can win in the playoffs. I think I might be, even though I'm lower on the regular season, uh, I feel like this is a team that's going to get better as they go along and they're going to come into their own in the playoffs and, and let it rip. And, and there may be, games where this defense keeps them in it um, and, and they they have a chance to win. So uh, give me like a 70% confidence level uh, of, of getting back to the Super Bowl again. You know, obviously anything could happen. It is a tough field this year, but uh, I'm going to stay optimistic for now. Yeah, I, I think the thing here is that like if the Chiefs don't win a Super Bowl, I think you it's fair to criticize Mahomes, Andy Reid, whoever, for not getting it done with this defense because like this is the best defense they have had. And so I think it is fair that like the expectations are obviously still Super Bowl. Yeah. I just think that, you know, it's it's the NFL and 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 probabilities say that there's probably gonna be another team that comes out this year. Yeah, and you pointed out earlier it may be the wide receivers that come back to bite you by by the end of the season. They've got to have somebody step up and continue to step up, whether that's uh, you know Rasheed Rice or or Sky Moore, Darius Tony. Like I don't really care who it is, but like yeah, right. They, there's got to be somebody they can throw the ball to as they as they go on that playoff run. Well, I thought for for a, a final segment here before the bye week, it'd be a lot of fun to talk about our suggestions for the second half again. I know the Chiefs are very interested in this segment. They're going to be hanging on every word that Ron and I have to say uh, for how to change things up in the second half. Uh, give me your first suggestion for the Chiefs to make some changes coming out of the bye that could put them in a, in a good position for the second half of the season. Yeah, I mean, the first thing, honestly, that comes to mind, and it's honestly the last two games have really solidified it. So it is a little recency bias, so he could bounce back. But I really feel like MVS needs to needs – to, work down on the on the receiver uh, lineup rotation, right? He needs to be way further down, in my opinion. He needs to be maybe like the, you know, situational deep threat that plays 10, 12, 15 snaps a game. Not the guy leading the room in receiver snaps, in my opinion, just because he, he has not proven that he can make tough catches downfield, which teams are forcing the Chiefs to – you know, make those like they're not giving any open windows on downfield throws. That's the only place MBS really gets thrown to for the most part. And even when he does get thrown intermediate, he's fumbled the ball right after he got, he, he caught it. He's, he's made two drops um, that I highlighted on Twitter recently where he just isn't strong going to the ball. And then obviously in this last game, you know, the vertical uh, shot down the field on third down, Hey, it was a good play by the corner, but you have to like go up and get it, dude. Like you can't, he, he just had his hands laid out. Like there was no one there. Like no one was in his way to like, the ball was just going to magically go through the corners. Like I just, that kind of stuff drives me crazy as a downfield receiver. Like, yeah, the speed is, is nice. And like, you know, he does like, he probably does like get to the right spots and stuff, but at some point, you know, you have to go up and get it. And I just feel like he never does. And Justin Watson does. Uh, and, and Mahomes clearly likes throwing to him more. 
Uh, he has he's had Justin Watson has had 13 deep targets this year. MBS has had seven. MBS has played 100 more snaps than Justin Watson. Mm-hmm. And the only time MBS has really had success uh, uh, down the field is when Justin Watson was hurt against the Chargers. So it's like <laughs> at some point it just needs to be Justin Watson playing those MBS snaps and MBS needing to be kind of a, you know, throw in whenever. All right. So I, I might take that same suggestion and just expand it and say let's consolidate the wide receiver snaps and figure out yeah. who's your top three guys and really focus on getting them the ball a number of times every single game. This one or two targets a game for seven different receivers is just not working out very well for them right now at all. Right. For whatever reason, whether it's those guys need volume, whether it's a, a comfort level, whether it's whatever, uh, it is is really coming to the point where – they just don't have as deep a group, I think, as they thought they did. Or or maybe, again, it's just been them throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. But eventually, you got to get down to where who's your core wide receivers? Who do you focus on and feature in the wide receiver room? To me, you feature Rasheed Rice, number one. That's your wide receiver one of, of the wide receiver group. And then you figure out really intentional ways to get Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore yes. involved in the way that, that they get involved. And again, like you said, maybe Justin Watson as well. But consolidating that wide receiver group and finding who's coming out of that, that's got to be job number one for the second half of the season. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Just the overall receiver room tightening up. I totally agree with that. Um, I'll give you another one for the offense. Uh, I it's, it's kind of a salt. It's an un- underrated one. Um, but one of the most underrated differences between last year and this year with the offense is, is how little they throw out of their heavier personnel sets. Right. You know, last year they were by far the best team in the NFL and, and really just, uh, you know, made big plays and, and big moments uh, with 13 personnel, three tight end sets and, and throwing big plays out of them to Jody Fortson, to Noah Gray, to Travis Kelsey this year. Just the simple fact that Blake Bell is that third tight end instead of Jody Fortson has just completely taken that off the table for them. Um, he is just so slow. Uh, he is a great blocker, honestly. He really is. I mean, he's he's the fullback. He really is. But that's the thing. He is. It is a fullback running that third tight end instead of Jody Fortson, the former wide receiver who you know has made great plays. Uh, you know, in the limited time he was in the NFL. So, yeah, I, I think that's one big thing. So my suggestion would be. Just, just give your guys on the practice squad a little bit of a shot, you know. Matt Bushman made some grabs in the preseason. Anybody else uh, there? Anybody, uh, you anybody know, there's, you know, there's another guy. You know, you could just give him a little, just a little shot. <laughs> no, I, 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 but to be serious though, I Matt Bushman and Garrett Prince, who's my guy, but they were both brought into the NFL because they are receiving threats at the position, not because they're you know blockers or anything, and. Yes, you might be sacrificing that on those plays, but like it would just be nice to at least try it. You know, use one of your standard elevations, one game, just and it could be the Packers Raiders, you know, like not it doesn't have to be a big game, but just try and see if if you can maybe get a little more op- open space going on those plays. And and maybe, you know, once we get in the playoffs, it'll be a, a better wrinkle for them and and my boys, you know, catching those Jody Fortson touchdowns. Not a bad suggestion. I, I will say Noah Grace look better this week than, than I've seen him in, in, in a little bit. Uh, and I think he's somebody that they can continue to build around uh, yes. with some, with some passing targets. Uh, but yeah, that third tight end, it does feel like a, a kind of a black hole for the, for the offense right now. Um, you know, 
all of our suggestions are going to be on the offense, frankly, or, or most of them. Um, so l- let me let me deviate from that and say, how about on special teams? We just talked about a little bit ago. You, you've got to find some answers to be to clean up the special teams and, and have it be, you know, a smart field position approach to the game that that you know maybe give up on the idea of special teams touchdowns and, and let's just let's just start playing playing smart and conservative on special teams when it comes to uh, the, the return game. So I'm going to throw that out there again. Maybe it's no returner. Maybe it's put Justin Watson back out there and just let him fair catch every time, whatever it takes um, solidify the special team. So that it's not costing them games it, just from the return game. Yeah. Justin Watson back there is a good option to me. Let's just do that. I, I don't mind it. I mean, He's 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 as reliable as it gets at the at the position. You might as well you might as well put him at punt returner. Well, back to the offense real quick. You know, I'm going to harp on this every single week until it's until it's reality. Uh, this offense, other than Mahomes and Kelsey, the, that aside, this offense should be centered around Pacheco and Rasheed Rice. Isaiah Pacheco, Rasheed Rice. That's the future of this offense. That's who you need to be building around. To me, that means. Put Pacheco in situations where he can win. Maybe it's more gap power stuff. Maybe it's yes. uh, less predictable stuff. Maybe it's getting him the ball as a receiver, which he's shown he can do in very limited opportunities. Uh, whatever that is, screen game, you know, the, there's all kinds of things you can do there. Get creative with Pacheco. Find ways to get him the ball and let him be the spark plug of this offense. And then make Rasheed Rice your featured receiver whether it's down the field, contested catches, uh, run after catch. Uh, there's there's very specific strengths that he has that you can build around. Uh, and and they're, very, they're very complimentary to what Travis Kelsey does. So to me, build the offense around that trio. Kelsey, Pacheco, Rice, those are your guys. Everybody else is complimentary. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree because Pacheco, you know, he is a he, he is a workhorse back. He can take all of that work and still, you know, be you know running hard at the end of the game. So you might as well use that, man, because he's much better than, you know, anyone else they're going to put back there at this point. Mm-hmm. And so, like, just don't even like just and I know you want to conserve him. I understand that. And, and yes, maybe it is, you know, maybe I'm being, you know, like, hey, there's nine games to go into the playoffs and we do need Pacheco to, to be alive. We can't just run him into the ground. But it's not about the volume, like you said, it's about the, it's using him on better types of plays like gap runs, like power counter. Um, He's just so much better. And the offensive line is too. The offensive line is much better right now blocking those plays um, than zone run. And that's most offensive lines. I mean, cause, cause it's a, it's a easier, more direct play, but yeah, I love that suggestion would definitely want rice and Pacheco to, to just get all as many touches as, as the team uh, allows them to get. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we as we talk through all these things that it just came to my mind as you as you just said, are they saving a lot for the very end of the season, the stretch run, the playoffs? Are they, yeah. are they trying to preserve Pacheco's health? Are, are they trying to preserve Kadarius Tony for for a stretch run? Right. Is, he in, is he essentially in bubble wrap right now, getting one touch a game, and then they bring him out, unleash him in the playoffs? Some some dastardly plan that that. Uh, uh, that Andy Reid is hatching to to bring out some some nastiness in the playoffs. It, it's possible. Um, I think yeah. that's a risky strategy in some ways. Like 
you got to get there, you know, and you got to get there with uh, with a good enough record to to get that first round by ideally, or at least get a, a home game or two. So, you know, they can't hold too much back, but uh, I'm willing to say maybe there's an element of this offense that we haven't seen yet on, for a strategic reason rather than just neglect. I think the game really kind of elevates this to the next level though as well, because if you're a, a, a person just in Germany, just switching on the TV, you're not really all fair with the NFL or anything like that. And you heard the crowd and you saw the, saw the crowd there at the Frankfurt game. That's got to be an eye opener to a, a new window of opportunity for new fans, isn't it? Like you were saying. And I think this game was a perfect showcase because we even said it together. This this place is going to get loud, even with the you know obviously yeah the roof was on and everything like that, and we knew it was going to be loud. But I think the interaction of everyone as well that really helped at the game because you know some people I could see some people were a bit hesitant to stand up if they were like Chiefs fans because they didn't know what to do on third down or anything. They might have been new fans, and um, but when when our section was jumping up and waving everybody on to try and get you know get some noise going and stuff like that, it came almost instantaneously, didn't it? When uh, the Dolphins were on offense. Yeah, I, I thought the st- I thought the crowd noise was spectacular. It was unreal for an international series game. Like I know we've we've me and you have had a couple of conversations with people online saying it wasn't that loud. It was. <laughs> it was. It was that loud. It was very. It was very loud in that stadium. And considering what there would have been, what thirty five, forty thousand Chiefs fans in that stadium. So you're talking half of our head. Done an outstanding job. Now I'm so glad the roof was shut. Because the roof being closed certainly helped it contain the atmosphere and it echoed around and that certainly did help. But even if it was shut, I still think it would have been loud. Like the the Dolphins, like it had started basically from the first few drives. There was false starts. They had to take early timeouts in that game. Yeah, they did, yeah. The crowd noise. And I still maintain that the snap was because the crowd noise. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That was us. Yeah. That fourth down was deafening. And like Andy Reid has come out and said the, that the crowd helped us win. I know it's like that. You can say that's coach talk. Yeah, he's been nice to fan. But I genuinely think it it was part mm. of the reason. The Chiefs, the Chiefs crowd in that stadium, whether it was Americans, whether they were British, German, Spanish, Brazilian, everyone was just going for it. Mm-hmm. It was it was outstanding. So, yeah, some people took longer than usual to get into it. But come the fourth one, fourth quarter, and like and even the third quarter when the Chiefs. When the Chiefs' um, defense really needed that extra support because the offense weren't doing it, the crowd stepped up. And I, I just like, I, I know a lot of people have been to a lot of international series games and they've all turned around to me afterwards and said, that was one of the best, if not the best, for atmosphere. It, mm-hmm. it was, it was special, man. I was so happy to be there. It was, it was one of the best days I've had, like, in it, watching any sport. It was so good. It was, I loved it. Yeah, absolutely brilliant experience. And uh, so many funny stories coming out of this as well. I mean, um, we were sending it to uh, Duncan, who now runs Our Heads Abroad, weren't we? And uh, he had his kilt on. This is this is game day, Duncan. Chiefs fan, through and through. Loves to wear his kilt wherever we go, when it's, you know, it's a, it's a game day anywhere. And he has a spurring on the front, obviously, to keep the kilt down a little bit. And, you know, but it's like, it's got like metal edging on it and everything. And the poor woman who was sat in front of him, every time he jumped up to celebrate, the sparring was whacking her on the back of the head. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, I really felt sorry for her because I think after about the fourth, the fourth knockout that he delivered, yeah. um, she turned around and was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> yeah. My my funniest thing about that weekend, well, the thing I look back and laugh at the most for sure was when we we went to a Sports Illustrated party. And this will be last. We can go. We can get onto the game in a minute. This will be last yeah, yeah, talk yeah. about the trip. We um, went to a Sports Illustrated party on the Friday evening and it was in like an old, like a abandoned warehouse slash club thing. And like, it was really good. It? it was really good. It? it was really cool. Yeah. Um, uh, Brad likened it to like a John Wick scene type. That's what they basically like. It was like. awesome. It, it did look cool. And there was, there was a lot of like beautiful people in that, <laughs> yeah. in that club, like people dressed to the nines and all in their best gear. And they, they're like very, very attractive people. And then you had us four myself brad aiken and this guy duncan all stood there in taylor swift t-shirts and duncan in a kilt <laughs> it was the dance dance floor. Floor. <laughs> like that that to me we looked like the in-betweeners uh honestly it was <laughs> phenomenal because you had us there and you had people in suits and like ball ga- not ball gowns but night dresses and stuff like that to the left and right of us and you just had us in taylor swift t-shirts like a real highlight of the weekend, right there. <laughs> Great fun, wasn't it? And, uh, and and George, the doorman on the front on the uh, on the front door, was hilarious. He was doing all our, our impressions of all our voices, wasn't he? Mm. Um, yeah, really, really great time there. But um, we're going to have to talk about the game. We're going to have to talk yeah. about it uh, briefly. I know it's been done to death, probably already with uh, the rest of the uh, our head pride team. But um, the from start to finish. Like, as you said, the, the crowd noise was phenomenal and helping the defence. But um, we still saw we saw a great drive at the beginning, yeah. the Chiefs. And I thought, wow, we're cooking now. We're really cooking. We're gonna, we are gonna. We look like the Chiefs of old. They did. Um, and that first drive, I thought, yeah, we've sorted out whatever the issues are. Um, the ball was getting spread around quite well as well. Sky Moore had a touch. Rashid Rice had a touch as well. Um, just so great. It, they were grey as well. And, and I thought, right, we're on for something here. I think yeah. the, the, the the players are responding to the crowd. And they went a little bit flat for a little bit, didn't it? Yeah, well, a whole quarter. Like, yeah. yeah we, as you said, the first drive was great, but then both teams just like splattered on offence for quite a while, really. Mm. And I don't, I don't know what it was, but the Chiefs just couldn't simply move the ball yeah. after that. Like it was a whole quarter until they scored their second touchdown, a whole 15 minutes. Cause then the, the first one was what, three and a half minutes, mm. which is my home's like picking it apart. And you can say, yeah, it's the first 15 plays It's Andy Reid scripts. Like they always tend to work. But after that, like, cause then you use the script to see how teams react to certain things. You should then surely have the answers going forward, but the chiefs just were bad offensively. What were Kelsey end up with? Three, three receptions for 14 yards on the day. Yeah. Maybe seventeen yards. Like it's one of Kelsey's worst output puts in years. It just it didn't work. But thankfully, neither did neither did the did the uh, Dolphins' offense. Like oh. there was a clear plan from the defense from the start to to get hands on the receivers. And we spoke about it last week. I'm patting myself on the back about how they had to go and meet the the uh, Dolphins' receivers at the line. They could not let them get free releases. Mm-hmm. And it was obvious from the start. There was a play that he got flagged for where Legereus Sneed literally just grabbed Tariq Hill <laughs> and threw him on the floor because you guys were like, there was a flag on the floor and you guys were like, oh, what's that flag for? And I went, Legereus Sneed just wrestled Tariq Hill to the floor. He didn't even <laughs> care. Like, 
But that was clearly the plan and it played out through the game and it was an excellent plan. Like we're sitting here doing, is it spoilers? Can I spoil an article? No, I can't spoil an article. I was about to spoil the um, the bi-week awards for AreaPride.com. I can't do that. I don't know. I think they might be out now, are they? No, 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 no. Not this one. This is going to be the final. I won't spoil it. Oh, right. I won't okay. spoil it. I won't spoil it. But anyways, there was a clear plan from this Chiefs defense about what they wanted to do, and they were executing it very, very well. And that gave the team some time, especially on offense, to try and sort some problems out. And how did they sort them out? My God, on a 95-yard touchdown drive. Just, like... This team, has, it's what frustrates me about this team, and again, it's my voice. I apologize for my voice. Again, I don't normally sound like this. But what frustrates me about this team is they have the ability to do it. Like, yeah. they go on that first drive. They're, they're, yeah, they, they have the ability to go on they like these big, long, uh, big, really quick drives, move the ball down at will, three and a half minutes, it's fine. But then they also have the ability to take these long, methodical, how many, was it 13, 14 play drives, 95 yards, scoring a touchdown, ending with Jared McKinnon, finally getting involved in the passing game and scoring a TD. But then the rest of it, it just goes to pot. Mm. It, it just, it's really infuriating, this Chiefs team, because I've just seen a stat a minute ago. The Chiefs have the least amount of free and outs in the entire NFL, which mean, tells me that they're starting drives. Yeah, they are getting drives going, but as soon as they get to midfield, for whatever reason, yeah. it's just not working. And is it play calling? Is it receivers? Is it the run, lack of running game? I don't know, but it's it's really worrying because this team were in such a good position on Sunday, such a good position. And after scoring that ninety-five yard touchdown, you telling me uh, did I expect the Chiefs' offense not to put another point on the board the rest of that game? Mm. And they didn't. We were saying, weren't we? We were saying that another three points will kill this game. And they couldn't get it. It's awful. Just like so, so bad. And whilst we're on the offense, we might as well stay on the offense. The worst was the the final drive that the offense had. Oh. When McCall Hardman fields the punt inside his five, gets tackled at 10. Like, well, it wasn't even at his five. He was at like the two. I, yeah. don't, I don't understand that. I don't that's understand all, that. That's all, that's all day two. That has to be day two. Um, a terrible decision by McCall Hardman. And then we get the, the third and one and Mahomes literally has a QB sneak there. Mm. You, you have, you have a, a one technique there. And then the next guy is lined out in between the guard and the tackle. It couldn't have been more open for a QB sneak. If you tried it, it was one yard. One yard. We're not yards. doing it. Are they? They're not doing it. Like at some point, like Mahomes must realize that he's the biggest part about this franchise, right? Okay. Like, regardless of what people want to say, I guess it's Andy Reid's team, but Mahomes is the biggest part of this franchise. 100%. At some point, he just needs to take it up on himself and just say, nah. Like, if it's ever that open again and you're in that situation, third and one, third and one. But passing on third and one. Third and one. Just, just take the ball of Humphrey and just go. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like there's, there wasn't stopping it. He just dies forward, gets it. It's a, it's, it's another first down, and the game's basically over. We don't need a fumble for yeah. fumble snap. It just winds me up that they will not put a QB sneak into the offense. If there was a QB sneak in the offense, Mahomes takes it and that play, but because it's not in the offense, he doesn't do it. That, that Mahomes just can do it. Just do it. You swearing with a destroyed voice is funny. <laughs> just do it. I just, I don't get it. Just, just go for it. 
Yeah. Like, like we, we, talk, we talked about this in the state, and then they end up passing. Passing. Yeah, passing. I know. Just, oh. Unreal, mate. It really is unreal. It, and, and like you said, it's infuriating because we're doing things that other teams aren't doing. No. But, but that isn't to a benefit. That's to, that's to, That's detrimental to the actual team because we are not doing third and ones correctly and we're not fielding punts correctly um i mean like you said I that, we that... did this a couple of weeks ago we do things that other teams cannot do yeah we also do things that other teams wouldn't Won't do. do yeah yeah it, it just it just <laughs> it really winds me up it, it just this bloody team they love to get in their own way they just love it they, they must love the drama this i don't know uh, well, the Anyways, script writers are having a laugh. I tell you, let's, let's talk about like it, it, it. The play, but the, it, but the lovely breakfast that were there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. like, hey, is that the most electric play you've ever seen live in your life? Um, I think you said to me that's probably been better than Wasp at yeah. the game, and I was thinking that might be an overreaction, but seeing it back. And seeing the reaction of the crowd and what it actually meant for this team as well. I mean, yeah, okay, Wasp well, was no, 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 no. No, if you go, no, yeah, if you go about what it meant, Wasp was 100%. But I'm thinking of the actual time. Oh, the actual reaction. And, and the actual reaction, yeah, yeah. real time to an actual play. Unreal. That was probably the most electric thing. I didn't even know what happened. I, I just saw Brian Cook sprinting down the side and yeah. I'm thinking, what, what, what happened? I know we fumbled it and recovered it, but what the hell happened? You and you saw it, didn't you? He went, he lateraled it, he lateraled it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? There's no way. It was the closest thing I've ever seen to resembling a reaction to a goal going in in football. Yeah. That was the yeah, reaction yeah. in the stands. Like, Normally, like American football, touchdown scores, you kind of know what's happening. Like, you just go, yeah, blah, blah, like high fives. Yeah. But that was like, for me and people around us, genuine limbs, like mm. actual limbs. Us four together were going crazy. Look around, the noise was phenomenal. And like, my heart was racing afterwards. I've never seen, like, I've been to a lot of American football games. That was definitely the best thing I've ever seen live at an American football game. It was just unreal. Let me let me just transition into this and 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 because it kind of touches on what we talk about and we can move along here. Chiefs head into the bye week seven and two, um, top of the AFC West, no doubt about that. But we still are worried about a few things. Short yardage is one thing, but there's just some other meat on the bones. We've talked wide receiver room. We've talked. Uh, Matt Nagy and some other things. So Mark Gunnell is going to start us off first here. His biggest weakness for the world champion Kansas City Chiefs and his biggest strength for the world champion Kansas City Chiefs as they entered the bye week here uh, in the City of Champions. The biggest weakness right now, I would say, is the wide receiver's lack of separation. Um, you see in teams do a, run a lot more man against the Chiefs and the guys on the outside struggle to get open consistently. Um, you know, there's going to be clips out there that show guys are open and select the plays on all 22. You're like, why didn't Mahomes throw it to him? But like, there's still shots. Like, I, I really, really despise that. The fact that everybody has access to all 22 is probably like the worst thing ever because everybody thinks they're an offensive uh, coordinator now and they could, he's like, oh, he looks, he's open. 
but like Mahomes, he can't see four guys at one time. Like, it, like it is There's more, a progression to it. Yeah, yeah, there is more nuances that go into it versus you just looking at it and seeing guys are open 30 yards down the field. So I think that is, is an issue. But I also think it's play calling and putting guys in the right position that we spoke about earlier. I would have never made the proclaims that I've made about Sky Moore if I knew he was going to be. On the out- <laughs> I knew you were going to find a way to. If get I knew, there. if I knew he was going to be on the outside, just as much or if not more than in the slot, because that's the whole reason why you saw these Julian Edelman type comparisons, Wells Welker, because those guys lived in the slot. But it's been Rasheed Rice that is getting most of the slot opportunities, and he's taking advantage of it. And now you're at the point now. You don't want to risk losing his production just to please Sky more by switching their position. So it is what it is at this point. But let's go to the good side. Or do you want to do your weakness first? No, you can go ahead. You want to roll okay. here. Okay. So, yeah, the biggest strength, I mean, obviously it's the defense. But let me get more in-depth about it. I think it's the secondary. Ah. I think the secondary is the biggest strength of this team. Now, you may think, well, what about Chris Jones and George Karloftis, right? They have, what, almost 12 sacks combined or something like that? Crazy? Yeah, 100%. They're, they're, it, there's no weakness on this defense right now. Let me just point that out. I think this defense is legit on all three levels. Let me just put that out there. But I think when you look at each unit, I got to go with the secondary because we're seeing week in and week out, they're eliminating teams wide receiver one, right? You took out Calvin Ridley. He didn't do anything when you played Jacksonville. Garrett Wilson didn't have 100 yards when you played the Jets. Jettis, Justin Jefferson, only had like 28 yards after three quarters before he got hurt in that Minnesota game. Like, I could keep going on and on. And then, obviously, this past week, you held Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle to barely, they barely got over 100 yards combined. Combined. When Tyreek Hill's getting that by himself on most weeks or close to even 200 sometimes, and you held, you held Tyreek to under 70 yards as an individual. So when I keep seeing this pattern week in and week out, I have to give my, my tip my cap to Trent McDuffie, who I, actually he leads the league, Aaron, for all defensive backs and forced fumbles. I believe he has three, maybe four, but I know he leads the league from Forrest Fumbles from a defensive back perspective. Legereus Sneed, you could argue this is the best cornerback duo in the league right now. They're playing lights out. And then you look at the second, the safeties. I know Justin Reed gets some flack, but he's been playing really well these last few weeks. His tackling, he's, he's, he's laying guys on the ground, man. He's laying the wood. Pause. So you got Justin Reed, and then... <laughs> Oh, so sort of confirmed it. Yeah, Trim McDuffie has four, four, four <laughs> fumbles. And then we just saw Brian Cook high-stepping down the sideline this past week, looking like an, an all-world Olympic sprinter. So, oh, it, I, Mike Edwards. I can't remember, How can I not mention Mike Edwards? He has Mark, you can't best. name an entire – you just said I'm not going to name the entire defense as the, as the biggest strength. I'm going to get specific. No, but I'm naming just the so second I'm naming defense. I'm naming just the secondary guys though. I just named all secondary guys. The, the secondary is they, they're deep, man. So 
that's the biggest strength on this team is the secondary. Yeah, I think it's very easy to see this topic and go, oh, well, the biggest strength is the defense and the biggest weakness is the offense. And here's my homework. Like, uh, I, I was hoping, like, I don't know. I like this because you can also go a couple of different ways with it. Like, I like that you say the secondary because where I see that as as a big strength for KC, especially with what they put on tape, it's hard to ignore what this linebacker unit has done considering they're missing the guy. They're missing Uno. They're missing, in my opinion, Uno. Maybe they find a new Uno in this process. But Drew Tranquil and Nick Bolton, what they're putting on – and Nick Bolton. Drew Tranquil – and Willie Gay, what they were able to put on tape against one of the most explosive offenses in all of the National Football League, if not the, I know the numbers were skewed a lot because they dropped 70, but I'm, I'm, I'm arguing to say that that might be one of the biggest strengths uh, of an already very strong defense. Weakness-wise, man, I'm still going to hammer this run game. I, for Isaiah Pacheco to be as effective as he is, I do not think that he is utilized enough, and I don't think that he's utilized in the right way. We talk about the this interior offensive line so much and those three guys inside being maulers and, you know, just clear the way like those guys can, can mow the farm. Like, let's run those plays more consistently. Let's be more effective when we – like, let's be – Let's have a longer leash when we do run those plays as well. Yes, Mark Gunnels. So it feels like you should change your weakness from saying running game to play calling, right? Well, it's and, not necessarily the – I mean, they kind of go hand in hand. I see what you're saying, but I just wanted to point that out. It feels like you're complaining more about the, the plays being called versus the actual running game itself. I do think it's a stew. Because I think when you're saying, when I say running game, it's the commitment to it as well. And you can't just be, I, I don't want KC to just be a, a team that runs because they have to, they have to run 10 times a game. It's kind of part of what sets up the pass game. And it's part of what makes the rest of the offense work. Like, no, be committed to your run game because it, it can be the offense at times. Not that it sets up the pass, but that it is a version of the pass. Eric Bieniemy, when he was here, would talk about it being vice versa. But I, I would just like to see that a little bit more. That that's my weakness and strength as KC heads into the bye week, and we know how important these bye weeks are for Andy Reid coach teams. Andy Reid coach teams. He talks a lot about self scouting and how he uses this time to pour over all of the tape that they have put down things that they've shown things that they haven't shown which is something you've talked about a lot on here about maybe they still got something under wraps for the division teams that they haven't seen yet or anything like that i think this is what separates andy reed one and then what's been built here in kansas city two is that you know they they use this time to get better not just for the next two weeks uh, but for those January and February games, how can we build ourselves into a well-oiled machine so that we're playing our best ball that time of year, this time of year as well. And I think we'll see some immediate changes, but those words self-scouting are things that you're going to hear a lot coming out of the team facility this week. Let's talk Andy Reid after the bye week. You want to hear the stat? Did you pull the number up? You I know, already did. How did you, you already? How did you know I did it already, <laughs> bro? It's, it, it, come on, man. You know, I, I do a little research. Maybe a bye week, but you, you know, I do you a ruined, little. You ruined the game. I was gonna do. I was gonna ask you. I was gonna have you predict this record. I, I do but a you little, already got it. It wouldn't be a Chiefs <laughs> podcast if we didn't 
talk this number after a bye week. Well, but like, here's the thing because everybody defines bye week differently, right? Is it a regular season bye week your number is, or is it a postseason bye week? And then even I'll give you another one that week in between the AFC Championship game and the Super Bowl, do you count that as a bye week as well? I like, do. I do. I okay. count it personally. Yeah. So for that number, if we're counting regular season bye week, if we're counting no wild card game as a bye week, and we're counting the week in between the, the championship game and the Super Bowl, I have Andy Reid as 29 and four in his 31 years as an NFL coach and 24 of them being a head coach. 29 and four, Andy Reid is after just a bye in general. Special, yeah, self-scouting, and, and I just think routine and a lot of that stuff. Yeah, and I know we'll get into a lot more next week since we're on a bye, but I think this matchup is fascinating against the Eagles, man, because not only are the Chiefs on a bye, so are the Eagles. The Eagles are on a bye, too, so you should theoretically get both teams well-rested. I would say healthy, but it looks like the Eagles are going to be without Dallas, Dallas Goddard, their tight end. He got hurt in that Cowboys game. It seems very unlikely. He may actually go on the IR from last time I heard. So that's going to be a big loss for them. But, you know, with all the talk, you know, we talked about Tyreek Hill talking this summer. So are the Eagles. I mean, talking about how the grass, <laughs> they lost because of the field. They were slipping and sliding. And they couldn't get no pressure. So now you're coming to Arrowhead on some natural grass. So there's no excuses this time. I think that actually adds more fuel. You would think the team that lost the Super Bowl would have the more motivation to win, to get that rematch. But they created the narrative so strong to where the Chiefs have just as much motivation to beat them on regular grass now. Because now what can you say? You can't blame the field this time. But I know we'll get into it next week. I don't want to get too much into it. But I'm, I'm excited for this game. If you want to get on Donna Kelsey's schedule, you better start doing it now. Cause she's she's booking. She's getting booked oh and busy. We're gonna see her all next week on all the major sports networks. <laughs> Ron, I don't know what to do with Patrick Mahomes. I don't. I don't know how much to blame him. I don't know how little to blame him. I don't know what to say about him at this point in time. Because if we judge Patrick Mahomes on his own standards. What he has set for himself. First of all, we are comparing him to the greatest stretch of quarterback play we have ever seen in the history of the NFL. That is the bar with which has been set for him. So compared to that, it ain't good, man. It has not looked good enough. But he is throwing to receivers that I know, Ron, and you can tell me to kiss your arse, but he doesn't trust them. He doesn't. And I don't know if that's on him or if it's on them. I, I don't know. He is playing right now behind an offensive line that I don't think on Sunday he trusted them. I think there are times when it seems like he doesn't trust the play call to be able to, to get the intended result. And all of that being said, man, I look up some of the numbers on Mahomes this year. He's seventh in completion percentage, seventh in touchdown percentage, fifth in success rate, third in QBR. He has the lowest sack rate in the NFL, and he's fifth in net yards per attempt. With how bad this offense has been, how terrible it feels as if he has been playing with a wide receiver core that feels like it can do nothing. He has been, objectively speaking, a top five quarterback in the league because this is, again, like we've been saying about the Chiefs defense, 
the year of the defense and all quarterbacks around the league are really struggling to figure things out. So as I talk to you today, Ron, and you ask me how many quarterbacks have been playing, like name the quarterback that has been better without question than Mahomes this season. I don't know that I could quickly rattle a name off for you because all of them for the most part have been bad. So I I say all of that to say like, I don't know what to do with him, man. I don't think he's played particularly well, and yet I look at the context of what the league has done around him this year, and it's hard for me to say he's been bad. I don't know what to do with it. It's This is the he's strongest case Colonel. we've had in a while for a quarterback not to be MVP this season, like a, across the entire league. Like it, it's, it's been that bad. Yeah, he's got and Ron, you said, Sure. He's got you want to hear some of these other? Let me give you some of these other numbers. Josh Allen, nine interceptions. Jalen Hurts eight interceptions on the season. Like we can continue doing this with other guys around the league as well. Everybody's turning it over. Everybody is struggling to move the ball consistently. Quarterback play is abysmal this year. And I don't know if it, Lamar's been really good, but if you look at some, like almost any other number other than the turnovers, he hasn't been doing particularly great in terms of the volume statistics. He has nine He's got nine. They're they're running. They they get a lot of they get a lot of scores from inside the five with their running game. And when you Absolutely. talk about they got a really good running game, like Lamar's been playing better than he has. It's but overall, their like, pa- passing game's not a volume passing game. Like they don't pass it that much, and they also like it's all like sideline to sideline. Like Lamar's not throwing the football down the field and creating these like big splash plays. Like they're leaning into we just need to score. 25 30 points a game and our defense is going to just crush everybody and yeah and, and, they're and he's getting out sacked 37. a ton he's he's also getting sacked a ton like i i don't know that lamar has been playing significantly better this year than mahomes has i think he's better i don't think it's by as wide of a margin as we're giving it credit for though because i i, I think offense around the league has just been really really yeah, terrible yeah. so but, but, i want to be critical of mahomes because when i watch these games on sundays i think to myself god mahomes has to be better Like, this is not the quarterback that we are used to seeing. He should not be leading the MVP conversation right now. That's nonsense. That These receivers, we can see them at times getting open and he's not finding them. Like, I want to get on here on Thursdays and just pound the alarm of, guys, Mahomes is not looking like Mahomes. Something is wrong. And yet, I look at the context of what's happening around him and it kind of feels like, Ron, you'll understand this reference. I'm not sure, sir, unfortunately, that you will. But... There was a a season a few years ago in Major League Baseball where the home runs were just pew, 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 pew. It was missiles all over the field. It was like, yo, what's going on here? Like, there you go. What's going on here? Like, good pitchers are getting shellacked. And it turns out it was was juice balls. Like, they changed the ball and the entire league changed because of that. I can't explain why that is happening right now because I don't understand defensive mechanics well enough to be able to tell you why offenses are struggling the way that they are. But something is happening in the league right now that is preventing NFL offenses from having success on a regular basis. And the Chiefs, they're the team we watch the most where we see it, but it's happening to all of these teams around the league, man. Yeah, I, I just my, – my thing is I'm not – he's not been awful. He's been Josh Allen. And but Josh some people Allen, would tell you that Josh Allen's an MVP candidate this year because well, of how he's say, played. But we, I mean, but not, we, not the way they played recently. But 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 but, but, but we know that that's not going to like that's that there is a real there's a real difference between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes 
like the the Josh Allen and the Patrick Mahomes that we know of. And I'm talking about the things that Mahomes can control, not the stuff that the receiver stuff. I'm talking about the things he can control. He is playing like Josh Allen. And Josh Allen obviously isn't bad, but he's a turnover machine. All right. Pat's got 11 turnovers. He's got eight interceptions and three fumbles. And that is, I mean, I think Josh is 18 and nine. I don't know how many fumbles he has. And Pat 17 and eight with the three fumbles that like that, that the, the difference between Pat and, and, and Josh Allen is they both have high touchdown numbers and yards and explosiveness, but one of them doesn't turn the ball over so carelessly as the other one does. But Patrick Mahomes is doing that. And when you have a lesser cast, they can't afford for him to do that. And that's what, that that's all I'm saying is like the, the way this thing to me most realistically gets fixed and gets better after the buy is those two individuals who Andy, who is what we have seen since he's been here, the best at scheming up things has got to be the guy that schemes up things more consistently. Like I don't, don't show me the first drive of the game. And now you can't get nobody else open while they're triple, while they're triple teaming Kelsey. That's insane to me. I uh, just, he's, I just have I have the belief that Andy Reid is too good to not be able to figure that out. Like figure it out Trevor. to a point to figure it out to the point like these guys ain't trash. Now listen, I like it should be to a point where hey, if they drop eight passes, I got it. Like they're not even like it, it's it's not even like McCall Hardman's not running 5 yards past the line of scrimmage. Like, Trevor, like, Trevor Lawrence's been good this year, right? We can agree with that. He's been he's he's okay. his numbers aren't great, but he's been all right. It's, so let me let me ask this a different offense way. hasn't been great, but it's fine. Who's the quarterback other than Lamar that you think's been good this year? Let me let me ask it that way because Lamar this year has three interceptions but ten fumbles. Like it's fumbling the ball and left and right, and they have one of the worst red zone offenses. Uh, in the how many? He's got it's ten lost fumbles, but, but two has had fumbles, huge boom games and then kind of average games. And, and Tua has seven interceptions on the season. Like it. This is the problem is we can compare him to the as other quarterbacks around the league. And it's just really hard to find the guy that's been playing well. It's it's really, really hard to find the guy. Yeah. And but, so like, but it's probably CJ Stroud. Stop. I, but you won't hear oh, any argument here. <laughs> One interception. Right, he's at least not turning the ball over like all of all right, these other guys. Let's let's switch him. All right. Um, <laughs> let's switch him right now. Um, listen, again, I he is he is playing in a rate where he is compar- comparable to these guys. And what I'm saying is Right, but these guys I've, have a better surrounding cast right now, Ron. And this is why I'm struggling with it. Like I in my heart of hearts when I watch on Sundays, I'm where you're at. I am. I am thinking to myself, "Pat, this is ridiculous, dude. Like you have to get it together at some point. You've got to be able to figure it out with the supporting cast." But the supporting cast isn't good. Like, they've got Travis Kelsey, who we know to be a good football player. But Rasheed Rice is inconsistent. And then every other receiver that you want to throw out there has not been good this season. They've just flat out been bad. The offensive line, I think, was terrible against the Dolphins. And I think at times this year, even in the passing game, and they've been abysmal with their running blocking, but in the passing game, I think there have been times where they've really struggled. They've struggled specifically with some of those stunts that we've seen. Uh, Against the Dolphins, we saw that. Against the Broncos, we saw that. Against the Jets, we saw that. It's been some of the same mistakes that they're having. 
I think that can get fixed. I think in the bye week, that would be the first thing that I could point to. That'll get better. But I think the stuff around Mahomes is such that it's it's been really hard for him to just flat out operate in a way that is anything meaningful compared oh, to what we've seen in previous seasons. I also don't know if like when you look across the AFC, like how many other teams are, are we actually like willing to argue have like legitimately better offensive supporting casts than the Chiefs? Like it, it, at least at the top, like the Ravens, like. They got Gus Edwards, Keaton Mitchell, Justice Hill. Mark Andrews is obviously great. But, like, I think Zay Flowers as a rookie is kind of on pace with what Rasheed Rice is. Rashad Bateman and Odell Beckham. Like, Odell Beckham is just a total, like, skeleton. Their offensive line is injury prone and they're in and out. It's, like, like the, the Bengals. It's been better than what the Chiefs have Like, the, the Bengals, obviously, and they got off to the slow start because of the Burrow injury. They're coming on now. Like, Cincinnati, yes. Absolutely. But like Buffalo, it's Diggs and kind of everybody else. Like they, they don't really like James Cook hasn't been super reliable. Like Dalton Kincaid's kind of coming on. Gabe Davis is who he is. Like they're probably at this point because most of those guys are have a couple years in the league, at least like they're probably better than what the Chiefs have, but not significantly better outside of Stefan Diggs and him being a legitimate elite number one wide receiver. Miami, obviously. Jacksonville, yeah, probably, but like it's not. I, I don't think it's as dramatic as like you would think it is when you really like dive. Absolutely into. not. And yeah, what, we could go to what, the NFC too, and I think a lot of the NFC teams, I would say, like Eagles, better supporting cast. Cowboys, better supporting cast. Uh, Lions, better those. supporting cast. 49ers, yeah, better supporting 49ers, cast. Seahawks, yeah, better supporting cast. For like, sure. But in the AFC, I mean, we're, I we're up to like thirteen different teams though. Like. In the in the AFC, I don't I don't think it, it's is I don't like either a, a and, huge wide gap in the NFC and the, absolutely. And the part that I continue to say that should that we all expect, and this this gets to it again to make up the gap, is that Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes play and operate like Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Like I've let you go through try to go through all these quarterbacks, and that's fine. He that he he generally is on another playing field than the rest of them, and I am sorry that I'm not going to sit here and just accept that it's it's all it's all of them is why that, that Mahomes all the all the time. I'm not going to say none of it, but that it's all you. it's just all of them that why like the difference of Juju Smith Schuster and Andrew Wiley seven seven. And Orlando Brown is what it is that they can't deal with. You couldn't, you didn't even look to find Rasheed Rice. Not one time. You didn't look like, come on, man. I just like, and, and Andy is, and I, and, I, and here my glasses, they're coming off again because I, 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 I want to address this too. And this is why I, where I'm getting like, I'm getting hot thinking about it and more points proof. Like if Isaiah Pacheco doesn't start getting the ball, <laughs> In short yardage, I'm gonna snap, and I'm gonna the, snap. Dude, they're so and, bad at running it in short yardage, though they can't do it. 